Hey, what's up, everybody? Sean Aiton here, and welcome to the Tips from Crypt Podcast, your place for quick tips about pre-hospital emergency and critical care transport medicine. In this episode, I'm continuing our series, 52 Weeks of Epic, where I'm celebrating the completion of the Epic Review course and its pending approval by the International Board of Specialty Certifications, or IBSC. Today, I'm going to actually be going over a section that is not covered in the Epic Review course, but that's slated to be added here in 2019, and that is a section on the CAMES standards. By the time this episode is released on January 8th, the CAMES 11th edition will have already been published for over a week. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk about some of the biggest topics from the CAME standards that show up on the flight paramedic and critical care paramedic exam. And I'm also going to go over some of the changes from the 10th edition. I do want to encourage you to come over to the show notes for this episode, which can be found over at flightcrit.com forward slash podcast forward slash 008. There you'll find a link to the CAMES standards uh, in their completed form, as well as an abridged form that shows the changes between the 10th edition and 11th edition standards. All right, sure hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get going. So when it comes to section one or the management section, those topics that I see show up most often on the exams relate to shift length, okay? And so here's what you need to know. CAMES does allow shift lengths to go greater than 12 hours. However, there are some criteria that they have for shifts exceeding 12 hours. First of all, crew members are not supposed to be performing any routines beyond your typical transport services. That way, they're not being fatigued throughout their shift. Secondly, med crews have to be given permission for uninterrupted rest, meaning there shouldn't be text messages coming out from management about next week's staff meeting. There shouldn't be phone calls to check on supplies. There shouldn't be PR visits scheduled uh, at the base the crew need to have an opportunity to rest. Next, staff need to be provided a place for uninterrupted rest, meaning there needs to be a a bedroom where crew can go, they can have quiet, and they can actually lay down and rest. And then the last thing, and this goes for any shift length, not just those beyond 12 hours, crew members have to have the right to be able to call a timeout if for whatever reason they feel they are unsafe to perform any duties or they recognize their partners as being unsafe to perform transport duties. Okay, so just because you may not be fatigued, if you see your partner falling asleep and you know making mistakes that they shouldn't be making, it is up to you to call a timeout. You have the right and the obligation to call a timeout for your entire crew and give your partner an opportunity to go rest. Now, what about those shifts that go longer than 24 hours, those multiple day shifts, those 48-hour shifts? CAMES allows those also, but they have some specific criteria for those type of shifts. First of all, they're only allowed when the base is a remote base where there's a long commute, generally greater than two hours one way. The average number of transports for that base has to be less than one transport per day. The crews must be provided at least 10 hours of rest during that 24-hour period, okay? And that goes back to what I talked about, shifts greater than 12 hours, crews have to be given permission for uninterrupted rest. And then lastly, the base must utilize some kind of a fatigue risk management tool. Okay, so crew rest, okay? Here's what the CAME standard says. Crews 
including ambulance operators, must have at least 10 hours of rest without work-related interruptions before their shift. Now, I emphasize including ground ambulance operations because that was added into the 11th edition standards. Some examples include things like other jobs, school requirements. This was also an addition in the 11th edition of the CAME standards that school requirements constitutes uh, an interruption to your rest period before coming on shift. So if you're in class, you can't get off of, get off of school and go rushing straight to your shift. Military obligations, and then they throw a catch-all in there that says fatigue-causing activities. Any kind of fatigue-causing activity must be limited during that 10 hours prior to your shift to allow for adequate rest. There are a few other things that are thrown into this section, including uh, physical well-being and specific standards on protective clothing. The only real um, requirement that CAMES has in the current edition for protective clothing is they say boots or, quote, sturdy footwear is required. Reflective vests meeting this ANSI 107 standard are required for all night scene calls. And flame-retardant clothing is strongly encouraged for flight crews. Okay, in the next section of the CAME standards, 2.0, this is where we find the section on safety management. There's a lot of information in this section that could potentially show up on your exams. Section 2.03.07 talks about safety and environment, and this is where they mention that all medical teams are required to carry photo ID on them at all times when they're on duty. This is also uh, an FAA requirement, and it has to do with the fact that any time you are at an airport, the FAA can come on and do a ramp check and make sure that you have all the necessary pubs and equipment and so on and so forth for your particular aircraft's operations. And one of the requirements is you have to have a photo ID on you at all times. For programs that are doing international flights, it is federal law that you cannot take narcotics onto foreign soil. So right here in the standards, it says DEA issues. International law states it is illegal to bring controlled substances onto foreign soil. They cannot be removed from the airplane. That is right in the standards. So make sure that your company has a policy for dealing with narcotics if you are doing international flights. Two more things I want to discuss in this section. First, Helmets are required for rotoing operations. This is written right into the CAME standards, and in the 11th edition, they specifically say that these helmets must be designated for aviation purpose. That's a new change. The last thing, and I'm really glad to have seen this, okay? It says right here, it is strongly encouraged that rotoing services have installed helicopter terrain awareness and warning systems, flight data recording devices, flight control stabilization Systems for single pilot operations, that's your SAS, your stability augmentation system. Traffic collision avoidance system, or the TCAS. And the last one here is the one that really caught my attention, crash-resistant fuel systems. Now, this crash-resistant fuel systems, this was a change to the 11th edition. I'm really glad to see this in here. This last point in this section is not a change from the 11th ed- in the 11th edition, but it is worth noting. Supplemental oxygen is available for rotor wing pilots who have the potential to fly more than 30 minutes above 9,000 feet MSL or as applicable to local topography. It used to be that it was 10,000 feet for 30 minutes or anytime you're over 12,000 feet for any period of time. This is a change. They've dropped the requirement down to 9,000 feet for 30 minutes. Now, I will encourage you to go take a look at the FAR AIM manual. 
That's the Federal Aviation Regulations and Aeronautical Information Manual. 2019 Chapter 8, Section 1, Effects of Hypoxia. So this is 8-1-2, Effects of Altitude. It says in subsection 6 that, quote, the CFRs require that at a minimum flight crews be provided with and use supplemental oxygen after 30 minutes of exposure to cabin pressure altitudes between 12,500 feet and 14,000 feet and immediately on exposure to cabin pressure altitudes above 14,000 feet. Every occupant of the aircraft must be provided with supplemental oxygen at cabin pressure altitudes above 15,000 feet. So you can see here the the Federal Aviation Regulations set standards for pilots and crew members, but CAMES comes along and makes those standards more strict. All right, next section is patient care, section three. And when I first decided to do this episode, I put a post out on uh, social media and I got a couple comments back from people who had noticed in this section of the 11th edition, there was a statement or, or there was an omission um, that's, that seemed to imply that FPC or CCPC re- was, not, was no longer required within two years of hire. And I just wanted to clarify, I actually did reach out to the Canes for some clarification on this. Um, and I just want to assure you that FPC and CCPC is still required. So just as clarification here, if you look in Section 3, Patient Care, you'll get to the part where they talk about orientation, training, and continuing education. This is 3.05.00. And in here, under competencies, which is subsection 3, scroll down to the bottom, part G, it says current paramedic certifications such as NRP, strongly encouraged for paramedics who have been employed for more than two years and are considered AELS or BLS transports. In addition, FPC or CCPC certifications required for paramedics who conduct critical care transport and have been employed for more than two years. All right. So basically, they're saying the same thing in a different way. They took it out where it made sense. They put it in where it didn't really make sense in a way that didn't make sense. Um point is, you still need FPC and you still need CCPC. New in the 13th edition in this section uh, is a statement that you have to have cuff pressure manometers uh, on your transport device. Okay, The only exception to this is if you are filling the cuff with saline and not air, then you don't need to might be monitoring cuff pressures. Now, what about number of infusion pumps? CAME Standards 13th edition says a minimum of three IV infusion pumps on the transport vehicle or immediately available for critical care transport uh, are required. And the last last thing I'll say for this section, uh, they do actually have some guidelines for securing your patient to the stretcher during transport. For infants up to 10 pounds, a baby pod, car bed, or heated bed may be used. If a car seat is used, that car seat must have an FAA-approved sticker on it stating that that car seat is FAA-approved for air travel and that the seat is not expired. If either of those two criteria are not met, it doesn't have a sticker stating that it's FAA-approved for air travel or it is an expired car seat, you cannot use that on your aircraft. All right, now for section five. Now, section five talks specifically about rotor wing standards. And the big thing that I want to point out here, first of all, first off, is back in 2014, I believe it was, 
that's when the FAA changed the standards that would uh, that used to allow HEMS pilots to fly back after a mission was over, whether they had their crew on board or not, with under Part 91 standards. Okay, it used to be. If you've spent any time in this environment, you understand that we fly under FAA Part 135 guidelines, okay? And those 135 guidelines have very strict hour requirements or hour limitations for HEMS pilots. So I know I used to fly with a program where we would actually go and perform a mission under 135, but when the mission was over, the pilot would do their pilot magic and they would essentially fly back Part 91. What's... What is so significant about that? If the pilot went over their allotted flight time, they could still get the aircraft back to base without having to do a a pilot swap because they were flying back under Part 91, which had less strict hour limitations. Like I said, I think it was 2014 they did away with that. Now, all HEMS operations have to be conducted under Part 135, and that's written right here into the... Uh, CAME standards in Section 5. All patient transport flights must be conducted under authority having jurisdiction, regulations for weather minimums, flight duty time limitations, and weight and balance requirements in the U.S. This refers to FAA Part 135 regulations. And it goes on to say, patient transport flight is defined as, quote, flight segments conducted by rotor or fixed wing equipment that is necessary for transporting patients and the medical teams required to care for such patients. It goes on to say that flights for refueling, repositioning, picking up and returning medical teams to an assigned base, actual flight segments involving patient movement, and any time the medical crew members are on board is considered a patient transport flight and therefore must be conducted under Part 135 rules and regulations. Keep that in mind because you could see that. Section 6 of the CAME standards talks about fixed wings and the The point I want to convey here is most fixed-wing aircrafts are pressurized cabins, okay? And it does say in the standards that a pressurized aircraft is strongly preferred for medical transports, but that a physician familiar with altitude physiology must be consulted or written policies address altitude limits for specific disease processes of the patient to be transported in an unpressurized cabin. Okay, what does this mean? Basically, they're saying that if you're doing a fixed-wing transport, it is understood that you are most likely in a pressurized cabin, and therefore the patient is not going to be subject to the same type of flight stressors that a patient who's transported in an unpressurized aircraft would experience. However, if in the event that you are having to transport a patient in an unpressurized fixed-wing aircraft, you must consult with a physician who has an understanding of flight physiology and the effects that that unpressurized cabin are going to have on them and their disease process. So section 7 is the last section we're going to discuss here, and this is the section that discusses uh, regulations for ground operations. Now, real quick, some definitions uh, that are covered in this section. Any reference to an ambulance is referring to a ground ambulance being used for patient care transport. If you see the term surface vehicle, this could be anything other than a helicopter or airplane. This could be a boat. This could be a snowmobile. This could be all-terrain vehicles. This could be a snowcat. Anything other than a helicopter or a fixed-wing aircraft 
is considered a surface vehicle, and these standards apply to them in a lot of circumstances. Now, if an ambulance service does choose to be CAMES accredited, they must conduct a driver and operator record um, check. So they must check for uh, traffic violations and speeding violations every year in order to remain uh, accredited. Like air medical transport, where we must monitor the cabin temperature if it is less than 50 degrees or above 95 In the ground transport environment, there is a similar requirement that the cabin must be maintained between 68 degrees and 78 degrees Fahrenheit. As far as vehicle operators go, you have to have two years experience as a licensed driver to operate an ambulance that is CAMES accredited, and you must undergo uh, emergency vehicle operator training initially and every two years. All right, that's all I have for this episode of the podcast. I hope you found this useful. Please come on over to the show notes at flightcrit.com forward slash podcast forward slash 008 where you can see the notes and you can leave me comments. I sure hope you found this information useful and I sure hope that you put this to good use in your day-to-day operations And if you're preparing for your exam, make sure you go over to the show notes, download the copy of the CAMES 11th edition, Uh, not only the complete copy, but also download the version that has the changes between 10th and 11. You never know how long it's going to take for the Board of Critical Care to update the exams. So it's good to know what is old, what is new. You wouldn't want to be thinking about the new standards and see a question on the exam that relates to the 10th edition and select the wrong answer, okay? The last request I'll make before we sign off is please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and please tell a friend about this podcast. It helps us get the word out. Until then, stay safe, live well, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Tips from Crypt Podcast. Bye for now.